I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. Proverbs chapter 3. I grew up during the age of great bands. You had the Eagles, you had Led Zeppelin, you had Leonard Skinner, you had the Rolling Stones, you had Queen. Of course, you had the Beatles. Now, certainly I'm not endorsing the lyrics that all of those bands sang. But certainly some of the words that they sung had meaning to us today. Like, for instance, Abba had a song entitled Money, Money, Money. I want you to listen to the first verse. It went like this. I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? And still there seems to be not a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dreams, I have a plan. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a ball. Now, let me say, for some people, that's their financial plan, isn't it? I'm going to find me a sugar daddy, or I'm going to find me a wealthy woman, and I'm going to marry her, and I'm going to be okay. For other people, their plan is, well, I'm going to hit the lottery, Or some people are saying, well, hopefully I'm going to have a rich relative that dies one day and they're going to leave me some money. And that's your financial plan. If that's your financial plan, God bless you. And some of you can probably relate to this Beatles songs, The Tax Man. I want you to listen to some of these lyrics. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me, because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. Should 5% appear too small, be thankful I don't take it all. Because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. If you drive a car, I'll tax the street. If you drive, if you try to sit, I'll tax your seat. If you get too cold, I'll tax the heat. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. Because I'm the tax man. And that was written in the 60s. The tax man. I think a lot of people don't realize how many taxes we actually pay. We pay income tax, we pay state tax, we pay county tax, we pay social security tax, we pay sales tax, we pay property tax, we pay tax, gas tax, we pay, we pay tax on about everything. I could go on and on and on, the tax man. But the one I really like is the Beatles song that the title was, Can't Buy Me Love. You, you've heard that song. But let me read you some of the lyrics. It says, I'll buy you a diamond ring, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. I'll get you anything, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. Because I don't care too much for money, for money can't buy me love. I'll give you all I've got to give if you say you love me too. I may not have a lot to give, but what I've got, I give to you. I don't care too much for money, for money can't buy me love. Now, I didn't care too much for the Beatles. Because of some of the things they said. But let me tell you, they got that right. Money can buy you a lot of things, can it? But it can't buy you love. Last week, we talked about the very first thing that that really Satan uses to destroy our marriages. And that very first thing is sexual impurity. But today, I wanted to talk to you about that second thing that destroys marriages. And that is Money. Managing your money. 64% of all families argue over money. 
54% of all divorces occur because of money. The mismanagement of your money can make your life miserable. And if there is anyone who has the authority to speak on this issue to us today, it is Solomon. Because Solomon had uh, personal earnings each year of over $300 million, almost a million dollars a day. And so when Solomon speaks about money, it would be good for us To listen, because he's not only listening to someone who is experienced in in making money and managing money. He was experienced in listening to God. And so we're getting a word directly from God. Now this past week, I I went through, as I do each week that we've been in this series, and I reread the entire book of Proverbs, and I I marked in green... (laughs) All of the verses that related to money. And you would be surprised how many there are in in all of the things that Solomon spoke to in regard to money. One of the things he tells us is what money can and cannot do. Solomon said this. He said money can open doors. In Proverbs 18 verse 16, he says, given a gift can open doors. It gives access to important people. When we give money... To certain people, let's be honest, it opened doors that many people don't have the opportunity to open. And so Solomon says, money used wisely, given to the right people, can open doors. We may not like that, but but that's a fact. He said, secondly, it can attract friends. Listen to what he said, Proverbs 14, verse 20. The poor are despised even by their neighbors, while the rich... Have many friends. Proverbs 19 verse 4. Wealth makes many friends. Poverty drives them all away. Now some of you are going to see that and go, wait a second, I I struggle with that. And and why is that word friends in quotation marks? Well, that was put in by by the translators because the Hebrew word is the same word that he uses when he says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It's the same word there. You see, there are different types of friends, aren't there? We all have those. We have people that we call friends that are acquaintances. We have our entourage. We've got our our posse that that go with us. And then we've got those that stick closer than a brother. And here's what I've come to realize. There are some people who we would consider friends and they would consider themselves our friends. That they are our friends because of what we do for them. What we can give them. And the fact of the matter is if you have a lot of money, if you have money to, to shower people um, uh, with gifts and things like that, you're going to attract people, but those friends probably won't last. And next, he says that, that money can protect. Notice what he says in chapter 10. He said, wealth protects the rich, poverty destroys the poor. The fact is, when we have money, it can protect us from certain things, can it? I mean, we may not like that, but, but the truth of the matter is, if... Um, if my uh, um, children get put in jail, I, I, I have the ability to raise the funds, if I want to get them out, to post bail. There are some people who are so poor that if their children get put in jail, they're not going to have the money 
to be able to get them out. That's just, that's just a fact. It's not making any kind of statement positively or negatively. It's just saying that if I have money, it can protect me in certain situations. But Solomon goes on to say that it can't protect us from everything. In chapter 18, he says, The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it as a high wall of safety. Did you hear that? They imagine it. In other words... Those people that have money think that their money can protect them from anything and everything. And, and we know that that's just not true. Solomon says it can't give a happy family. In chapter 19, he says fathers can give their sons an inheritance of houses and wealth, wealth, but only the Lord can give an understanding wife. You can't buy a good wife. You can buy a trophy wife, but you can't buy a good wife. And if you buy that trophy wife... Let me tell you what, she's probably going to find somebody else who's looking for a trophy one day. Or if you are that trophy wife, one day you're not going to be the trophy you are today. And so you just need to remember that. Uh, next, it can't give a good name. Proverbs 22 says, choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. You, you can buy yourself positions. You, you can buy yourself into certain opportunities, but you cannot buy yourself a good name. Uh, character is what it is. And then he says it can't give wisdom. Chapter 28, he says, rich people may think they're wise, but a poor person with discernment can see right through them. Just because you're rich doesn't make you wise. And then finally, he says it can't help on judgment day. Proverbs 11, riches won't help on the day of judgment but right living can save you from death. You can't buy your way into heaven. Regardless of what you have, regardless of what you think your money may be able to do, when you stand before God, you're going to stand on equal footing with the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich. We're not going to be judged by what we have. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account of our life. Now, there are two verses that I want to zero in on this morning. And um, these are verses that I, I want you to post. These are verses that I would encourage you to memorize this week. Let, let me give them to you. The first one is Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Uh, listen to what Solomon said. He said, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. The second one is this, Proverbs 11, verse 28. Trust in your money... And down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. So what can we learn from Solomon about having a healthy view of money and how we can manage that money in such a way that we can have financial freedom? Well, I believe, as I've read through Proverbs, that Solomon gives us eight words. And some of you are going to say, in eight words, we're going to be here until this evening. Well, trust me, we can't because we've got a second service. And we're going to have to run through these. But I think most of these speak for themselves. And, and I, I, I would be amiss if I left any of these things out because all of them are important. Now, here's the first thing he says. The first word is honor. We read that verse just a minute ago, but let me read it again. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, Solomon says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. 
Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Now, the first thing Solomon said about money in his book was right here in chapter 3. And he said that we need to use our money in a way that honors God. But what does that mean? What does it mean to honor God? Well, the, the Hebrew word comes from a root that means heavy. It means weighty. It implies that this is serious. And the one that it is spoken of deserves attention, deserves respect. And I would even add to that, deserves submission. So how do we do that? How do we use our money in a way to honor God? Well, Solomon said the way we do it is by giving the first and the best of everything that we have. Now, that word literally, that phrase is literally one word, first fruits. Now, remember, in, in Solomon's day, the people were primary, primarily an agrarian society. Their wealth was determined by what they grew in the fields and, and the, the livestock that they had in the fields. That's how you judged whether a person was wealthy or not. The land that they had, the crops they produced, and, and the animals they had. And Solomon is saying here that when the harvest comes in and when the cattle is born, you give God your first and you give God your best. Now, let me tell you, you may not get the ramification of this, but this requires faith. <laughs> because when the crop comes in, if you give that first crop to the Lord... You're not guaranteed any other crops. Do you understand that? And so God is saying, I want you to trust me to the point that you give the first to me and then depend on me to meet your needs. So we give God our first and our best. Now, now where did they do that in the Old Testament? Well, well that's clear. They did it to the temple. They gave their first fruits to the temple. The New Testament equivalent would be the church. If we're going to give our first fruits to God, to honor Him, we give it to the church that we are a part of. Now, how would we determine first fruits today? Well, biblically, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the tithe was demanded and the first fruits were given. And so I would assume that the tithe is the beginning point of the first fruits. If we're going to give our first fruits to God, our best and our first, then when we're paid, we determine that tithe, which is 10%, and we give it to God and we trust Him. Now, the amazing thing about this is this is a command with a promise. Solomon said, you honor God with your first and your best, and then he is going to fill your barns with grain and your bats with overflow. He said, in other words, if you honor me, I'm going to bless you. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? It's kind of like what he said in Malachi chapter 3. When, when Malachi said, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. And then he said, and see if I will not open up the gates of heaven and pour out my blessings on you. And so the first thing is we honor God. The second word is the word give. Now, some of you are saying, well, didn't we talk about that just then? In number one, 
When we talked about honoring, didn't we talk about giving? And I would say to you, no, they are two entirely different things. We honor God in one way by giving to him. But this isn't what it talks about here. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 11. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So it's talking about giving to others. Proverbs 21 says this. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world. The world can be divided into two groups. You've got the givers and you've got the takers. And God was a giver. And if we want to be like God, then we are going to become givers. You see, if I'm going to be like God, I've got to be a giving person. I can do that when I leave a tip. I can do that this when I'm supporting other noble ministries and causes. And I can do this when I'm helping those who are less fortunate. When I buy someone a meal. When I give to someone who is homeless. When I help someone with a bill that, that needs help. Jesus talked about this when he talked about giving alms. And he, he said we should do this. Solomon talked about it as well throughout this book. Let me give you one in particular. Chapter 28. He said, whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. But those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. It is our responsibility to help those who are less fortunate than we are. We've got that responsibility. Now, we're going to address this whole welfare mentality in just a minute. But understand, as a child of God, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have a responsibility to reach out and help those who are less fortunate than I am. So honor, give. The third word that he gives us is the word work. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Proverbs 13 says, lazy people want much but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. You see, good money management involves not only how we spend our money, but how we earn our money. The fact is, the way we learn the value of money is learning how hard it is to get money. Would you agree with that? I mean, if we never learn how hard it is to get it, we're never going to learn how valuable it can be. When I was growing up, I had to have summer jobs. I don't know whether it was 8, 9, or 10. I know it was when I was still in elementary school. Every summer, my dad strongly encouraged me to go out and talk to the neighbors about cutting their yards. So here I was, an 8, 9, 10-year-old boy, could hardly push that more. But I earned summer money cutting the yards of my neighbors. And I would go down the street in, in late May, early June and saying, hey, I'm trying to make some money this summer. Could, could I cut your yard every week? Here's what it would cost you. And, and for a couple of years, several years, that's what I did. When I got into late elementary school, I worked at a farm cutting wheat. 
from 7 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock at night. That, that's why, you know, people say, we shouldn't have kids out in this hot summer heat. I'm thinking, nobody ever cared about me <laughs> when I was out there working in that heat. Uh, it didn't kill me. I, I'm, I'm alive. The next year, I worked at a peach farm. That was a blessing. That's a joke. I worked as a painter one summer. I worked in construction one summer. I mean, I did different jobs until finally, praise Jesus, I hit the mother load. I got qualified as a water safety instructor, and I got a job as a lifeguard. (laughs) Got paid for sitting in the sun, having some fun. But the point is, every summer I had a job. Solomon tells us time and time again that that financial success is linked to our willingness to work hard. And while there are exceptions to this rule, and let me say, while there are exceptions to this rule, oftentimes the haves and the haves-nots can be traced back to the dids and the did-nots. And that's not a harsh statement. That's just an observation. But hard work not only can provide us with money... Hard work teaches us values and gives us satisfaction and a feeling of accomplishment. That's why, in a personal regard, I'm opposed to the welfare system as we presently have it. I think it needs an overhaul. I love what Charles Murray said. He said, the reason welfare is a bad the reason welfare is bad is not because it costs too much, not because it undermines, um, but because it undermines the work ethic. It, it is intrinsically at odds with the way human beings come to live satisfying lives. In other words, the Bible teaches and human nature says that when we work hard and we're paid for it, it, it provides a sense of satisfaction to us. And when we're not doing that, then it creates all kind of problems. The New Testament says it this way. He who doesn't work doesn't eat. And we know there are exceptions to that. We are, we are commanded to care for widows and orphans. We are told that. We are told very specifically that people should work. This, this is the primary reason that get-rich-quick schemes are wrong. Listen to what he said in Proverbs 12. He said, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Proverbs 13, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappear. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Don't chase fantasies. I mean, if you hear this, this, this idea that someone throws your way that sounds too good to be true, it is. It is. Work. Here's the fourth word. Plan. Proverbs 21, verse 5 says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Proverbs 24 says, do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. In Solomon's world day, like I said, people were agrarian, they they were farmers, they were herdsmen, and a person's wealth wasn't so much determined by the money they had in the bank, but rather their flocks and their crops. And Solomon is saying here, we need to know where our money is. Have you ever heard someone say, I just don't know where my money goes? If someone says that, listen, that's poor money management. Someone once said this, money used to talk, 
Now and it just quietly slips away. And that's so true. You see, our financial freedom is not just dependent on what we make. It's also dependent on how we spend what we make. And, and a big part of that is establishing a budget. And you know what a budget is? A budget is a spending plan. A budget is a plan spending program. It's where we sit down and we say, here's the amount of money I make. Therefore, here's the amount of money I can spend. That's a budget. And if you say, well, I need to spend more than I make, well, you're in a quandary. Amen? That means you're either going to have to go out and get a secondary job or you're going to have to find another job because we can't spend more than we make. Or at least when we do, it's going to backfire and it's going to hit you. You see, a budget is when I tell my money where I want it to go rather than wondering where it went. So how do we do that? We start with our, our, our income and then we go to our spending. And if it's a positive number at the end, when we take our income and subtract our spending, we're okay. If we have a negative number, then we're going to need to cut. And you say, what do I cut? Well, let me just say to you, you know, there's some people that struggle and say, I just can't make my, my money go far enough who are spending $100 a month on cable and Internet. And you say, I can't live without that. Well, let me just tell you, for eight years, while my kids were young, I lived without it. And um, I, I survived. I, I did. We, we learned to live off peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch and not go out to eat as often. Today, we're, we're able, and I just want to be honest, we're able, if we want to go out and eat, we can do that. We didn't do that 25 years ago. We were in a different place then than we are now. And so you have to determine what's really important and come up with a plan. Now that takes me to the fifth word, and the fifth word is content. Be content. So honor God, give to others, plan your spending, forgot number three, work hard, and then be content. Proverbs 15. Greed brings grief to the whole family, but those who hate bribes will live. Greed brings grief. Proverbs 21, those who love pleasure become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. Now, now complete this statement, not out loud, but complete the statement in your mind. I will be happy when. Now, and if you completed that statement, you're not content. That wasn't a trick thing. It's just if, if you had to complete that statement, then you're not content. And what you need to understand is this. Whatever you said you needed to be happy isn't going to make you happy. Because you're going to discover that there's something else you need now to be happy. We're so busy wanting more today that we're often not enjoying what we already have. And while we're working hard to get more, oftentimes we're losing the things that are most important. Because no matter how much you make, your yearning will always exceed your yearning. And some of us have become workaholics, sacrificing the more important things for things that will never ultimately satisfy. 
Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs 23. He said, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Now, now the fact of the matter is, our lack of contentment is one of the primary reasons for our debt today. We see something that someone else has, we want it, we can't afford it, so what do we do? We buy it on credit. And what I've discovered is it's a whole lot easier to get into debt than it is to get out of debt. Amen? I mean, you've heard, you've heard it before. This is only 84 easy payments. This is only 120 easy payments. This is only 120 easy payments. This is only 560 easy payments. Here's what I've discovered personally. There are no easy payments. They all hurt. And every time I'm having to make a payment, I'm going, oh, I wish I didn't have that. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 22, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, does that mean that all debt is wrong? No. Most of us could never buy a house apart from debt. But there is such a thing as wise debt and foolish debt. And let me just say to you, 99.9% of our credit card debt today is foolish debt. So what do we need to do? Apart from those major things, I would say like a house, potentially student loan debt wisely gotten, and maybe, just maybe, a car. But apart from those things, either pay cash or don't buy it. You say, how do you do that? You save. And that gets us to the next point. The next word is is save. Proverbs 21 says this, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Proverbs 27, Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds, for riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. After the hay is harvested and the new crop appears and the mountain grasses are gathered in, your sheep will provide wool for clothing and your goats will provide the price of a field and you will have enough goat's milk for yourself, your family, and your servant girls. In other words, if you don't spend everything you have now, but yet you save and you prepare for the future, you're going to have the things that you need in the future. The tragedy is we live in a I've-got-to-have-it-today Society, I want it and I want it now. I've quoted this before, but it's so funny. I've got to quote it again. George Burns said one time, people tell me I should save for a rainy day. But with my luck, it will never rain and I'll be stuck with all that money. Let me remind you that it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark, amen? But it started raining. Here's what statistics reveal. I read these this week. At age 65, 63% of Americans will be dependent on Social Security. At age 65, 63% of us are going to be dependent on Social Security. That's not saying that Social Security is going to supplement and help. It's saying we're going to be dependent on it. And I don't know about you, but listen to me. Apart from you who are already over 65... I would say to you, that should scare you. Because we are a debtor 
nation. And we're going deeper into debt every day. And though something may change, if it doesn't change, sooner or later, (laughs) we're going to hit a wall. And all of a sudden, you're going to have to be 95 before you can draw Social Security. And they're going to say, well, nobody's going to be alive. And that's going to be the point. Because we can't pay out money we don't have. So you have to save. So you save for the future. And then you save for emergencies. You see, some of you are saying, so how how do you save enough so that if your car completely goes down, you, you don't have to borrow to get one? Well, what you do is whatever that car payment was, when it's paid off, you continue to set it aside. And, and when your car breaks down and you can't drive it anymore and you need to drive it until you can't drive it anymore, you say, well, it doesn't look good. Who are you trying to impress? You're trying to pick up a woman? You're trying to pick up a man? I mean, what does it matter what your car looks like? Is it getting you where you need to go? That's Amen? That's, that's the question. And so, and so what we ask, we do is we put that money aside, and then when our car breaks down, if we've got $3,000 in that account, we say, i got $3,000 to spend. And we find the best car we can find for that, and then we start back saving. And maybe we can jump up to 5000 next time, maybe 7000 the time after that. And, and before long, we may be able to get that car of our dreams if that's what we want, but... But we save. We save for emergencies. What I've discovered is the roof's going to have to be replaced. <laughs> the ACs go out. The refrigerator breaks down. Things happen that we don't want to happen. That we're not prepared to happen. But when they happen, are we ready for them? Or are we in desperate trouble because we didn't prepare for them? Save. The seventh word, I'm going to hit this quick, is say or leave. I'm not talking about you leaving. <laughs> Listen to what it says in Proverbs 13. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. But the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. Now, I never heard that word, that verse growing up. I really didn't. But I think that's an important verse that we as Christ followers need to hear. When I die, I not only want to leave a legacy of Christ-likeness for my children. I want to leave a blessing to ministries that I support. But I also want to leave a blessing to my children. Not to enable them, but to bless them. Now, in case any of them listen to this tape later on, I want to tell them right now, it's not going to be a lot. So don't start lacing my food now. If I need CPR, give it. But my desire is to be able to leave not only a legacy, but I want to leave a blessing to my children. But I want you to listen to what else. Solomon says about this, there's a flip side. In Proverbs 20, verse 21, he says, An inheritance obtained too early in life is not a blessing in the end. I mean, we've seen children, haven't we, that 
have been given an inheritance. They've been given a blessing. And they've never had to work a day in their life. And that never ends up good. And and so leave. We leave for the next generation. And then finally, the last word is trust. Proverbs 11 verse 28 says, Trust in your money and down you go. Wow. When I reread that verse this week, all I could do was, whoa. How many of us do that? We trust in our money in our savings account. We trust in our retirement account. We trust in our money that our job gives us. Trust in money. Down you will go. But then Proverbs 28, he says, Greed causes fighting. Trusting the Lord leads to poverty, prosperity, excuse me. You see, in the end, we all trust in something. We all trust in someone. And what I've discovered is money is a wonderful tool, but it is a terrible God. It will never truly give you what you're looking for. Years ago, I made the decision that I was going to trust God with my life. With every area of my life. Now understand, this is a tough thing for me. Because I am by nature a skeptic. I struggle with this trust issue. And and so you need to understand. I'm just being, I'm I'm being transparent like I always am. I mean, when, when you come to me and you say something to me. I mean, my initial response is going to be putting up a wall because I struggle with dropping down that wall and trusting you. And so you need to understand that. Trust is a difficult thing for me. And God's done an incredible work in me. But I'm saying this so that you understand, trust isn't really easy for me. But I made that decision a long time ago to trust God with every area of my life. My spouse... My children, my my future, my salvation, and and yes, my my money. I I determined I was going to trust God with that. And and from the the very first job I had, I started tithing and giving offerings above the tithe to the Lord. When my wife and I first got married, that was difficult because we made a, I made a, we lived off $198.50 a week. And I'm not ancient. Getting there, but I'm not ancient. Uh, Just so that you'll know, $198.50 was more in 1983 than it is now, but it wasn't a lot. It was difficult. But my wife and I, we tithe. And we gave offerings. And every single week out of that $198.50, we committed that $50 was going to go to honoring God and honoring others, giving to others. You say, how did you do it? I have no clue. I'm not encouraging you to do that. I'm just saying we felt like that's what God wanted us to do. And God has blessed us Tremendously. I'm not going to stand up here and, and tell you from this place I'm standing that, that my family struggles. We don't. We don't struggle. 
God's blessed us. But I believe the reason that God has blessed us is because money has never been an issue to us. It's always been about honoring God and giving. And when God put resources in our hands, we would seek to use it in a way that would bring glory to His name. And and I don't have time to stand up here and tell you the stories of the times that we've depleted our banking accounts, giving to causes, giving to ministries. And God supernaturally, in ways beyond our imagination, has restocked the pool. And you say, Rocky, are you preaching some health and wealth gospel? Are you saying you give God $10 and He's going to give you 100 Absolutely not. I'm just here to tell you that from my personal perspective, I've discovered that God promises is true. When you honor the Lord with your first fruits, He will fill your barns with overflowing and your vats with new wine. I've discovered when you give the whole tithe to God, He'll open up the windows of heaven and pour down His blessings on you. But He's not going to do that if when those blessings come, you hold them like this. He gives you those blessings so that you can hold them like this. And say, God, how should I use this money to honor you? And that's what we should all do. Trust God. I want you to bow your head. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed. Here's my challenge to you this morning. If you don't get any of the other seven points, get the eighth one. Trust. Don't trust in money. Don't trust in the government. Put your trust in God. And if you're here and you've never trusted Him to be your Savior then today I would encourage you to take that as your first step. How do you do that? You admit your sin. You humble yourself before a holy God. You ask His forgiveness. You ask Him to save you. You ask Him to fill you with His Spirit where He'll give you the desire and the power to live a life that pleases Him. So if you've never done that, trust Him today with your life. But I would go a step further. I would challenge all of us here today to begin to trust Him with our resources. However small, or however great they may be. Trust Him. Father God, we come to you this morning asking you to do a work in each of our hearts. We know that every good gift, every perfect gift comes from you. We know that you are the owner of everything and we are only stewards. Help us to be good stewards. Lord, we recognize that begins by trusting you with our life. 
and then trusting you with our resources. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.